Why don't you go in your Bibles to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 3. And as you're making your way there, we are going to pass out to you some marshmallows. I've entitled my morning's message, The Marshmallow Test, but you can't eat it yet. It is a test. So please take one, and if you just can't stand it, your stomach's growling, take two and sneak one in your mouth when nobody's watching. But please, only one. Judges chapter 3, verse 1. In our Bible, God, in the last oh, a few weeks, we've been connecting to God every day in our reading. I hope you do that every day. We're starting the book of Psalms this morning. We've got little Bible guides you can pick up in the back if you need one after church. But we've been reading in the book of Judges. It's an interesting book in the Old Testament. Last couple of weeks, I preached about Gideon. And remember who we talked about last week? Oh, thank you. I'm glad someone listened. It was Samson. Everybody say Samson. Samson was not just a guy that worked out at the gym. Samson was a judge in Israel. He was a, he was a leader. In the book of Judges, it's an up and down time. They walk with God and things go well. They get away from God and life just doesn't go so well. But I have been meditating on something I read about two weeks ago. Do you ever find sometimes you read something in the Bible that's really intriguing, but you just hadn't quite got a handle on it, but you know there's some depth there, and it just lingers in your mind. I mean, know what I'm talking about. You know, you read something and you think about it during the day. But for the last several weeks, I've thought about this, and I felt the Lord released me to share it with you this morning, to share with you a perspective about spiritual testing. I mean, know oh, God gives tests. Did you know that? Did you know God is a test giver? He's like a, a teacher in school. I mean, know, oh, did, you, did you know, though, that Satan tests us as well? well we're going to step into this this morning. Judges chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read it. Actually, let's begin in verse 3. These are the nations, the Philistines, the Canaanites, and the Sidonians. Look at verse 4. These people were left to do what? Come on, everybody say it loud. They were left to test the Israelites. In other words, God brought the promised people, the Israeli people, the Jews, the one for whom Christ would descend. It was to be a pure race. Uh, They were to pretty much be to themselves. They were guarding the commands of Moses. They were a chosen race. But the Bible said as they went in this new land that God left some of the pagan people there to test them to see whether they would obey the commands of the Lord that God had given them. Verse 5, the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. How would you like a name like that? That's how they'd refer to you. You could be, you know, you could be uh, Jeff the Hittite. You could be Linnell the Amorite, or, you know, you could be, you know, you could be whoever. You could be Ezra the Canaanite. I mean, that's how people were named. But all these ites in the Bible is pretty much what you see in the Muslim world today aligned against Israel. You know, they descended, uh, uh, the descendants of Abraham, Ishmael, some were born of the, from, from Lot when his daughters, and he sinned in the cave. I mean, these people were all out there, and God was basically saying, be careful of them because they will interfere with your spiritual focus. Look at verse 6. They intermarried with them. That was prohibited. Israelite sons married their daughters, and Israelite daughters were given in marriage to their sons. And then what does it say after that? The Israelites serve their gods, which means they broke the first of the Ten Commandments, that thou shalt have no other god before me. That they fashioned gods made out of stone and wood, and they literally made idols and began to worship them. So how many could say with me that they failed the test? They failed the test. It's like God said, listen, I'm going to test you on this to see if you'll remain pure, to see if you will stay away from idolatry, and they failed the test. And guess what happens when you fail the test? How many know there's consequences? 
And that's exactly what happened in their life. In a perfect education system, I don't think we have one today, but when you fail to meet the standards that's prescribed by the school or the education system, you either repeat the grades, you stay after class, you're not promoted through when you fail. How many know you've got to meet certain standards before you go forwards? Well, it's the same thing in your spiritual life. You can fail a spiritual test that God might bring in your life, just like the Israelite people. But just as you can fail the test, I mean, no, you can pass the test and be blessed. Yeah. So that's kind of the deal there. And uh, I've kind of tried to make it a little humorous this morning and call it the marshmallow test. I'm going to show you a video in just a second. But I want you to warm up a little bit more to this idea of testing. How many know we take tests all our lives? Yeah, you take a driving test. Let's say, you know, if your license expires and they say, hmm, you're a little bit older than this picture. I want to see if you can still drive. And, or, or maybe my son is now taking his CPA exam. It's a four-part test. And he just, I called him last night, 9 o'clock. What are you doing? I'm studying. Well, the test is weeks away. He's been studying weeks. But it's just, a, it's something you've got to go through. If you want to be an attorney, how many know that you can go to school all your life? You can get a bachelor's degree. You can even go to law school and pass law school. But you're not an official attorney until you pass the bar exam. See? But it doesn't stop when you get out of school. Some of us thought that, well, I've graduated. I'm done with school. I don't have to take another test in my life. Not true. Because God tests us. He tests us. We get a grade from God. And our grade from God determines what happens next. And I want to step into this message with, this, with you this morning because I want you to see and understand this idea of the test. I want to show you a little video. It's a humorous video. It's about some children that are about four years old, and they're tested with a marshmallow. Take a peek. Okay, so that's your... All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Oh, it smells really Okay? Okay.
Alright, so I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> okay. Tell your neighbor you only get two marshmallows if you pass the test. Now, a test is a process of proving your worth. A test reveals what you really know. It reveals who you really are. And how many know God uses tests in our lives on an ongoing basis? The only problem is God is not like the science teacher that says, Okay, Friday, we're having a semester exam on the last six chapters. Here's your notes. You know, it counts for 40% of your grade. You better study. God doesn't stand up to you and say that. How many know you just get in the middle of it? I mean, you may be a farmer, and it's July, and your crops are just wilting in the weather, but you don't have irrigation equipment, and your faith is tested each day as you look at the weather and look at your crops. I mean, we live under a test. Maybe you're a Christian, and your boss tells you to do something illegal or unethical, and your boss basically tells you, if you don't do it, I'm going to fire you. I'm going to tell you, my friend, you are under a test. Your faith is tested. You may be a spouse and you may think everything's great or, or under, you know deep down something's not right and your spouse comes home and said, I just don't love you anymore. How many know you are under a test? How many know a Christian battling with sickness or disease? You've been prayed for more times than you can count. Uh, you've gone to the doctor and he says, I can't help you. I can basically mask the symptoms. How many know your faith is being tested? Because what's tested is your character. What's tested is your faith. The question is, are you going to stay with God? Are you going to stick with God no matter what else happens? Or are you going to turn away from Him? Are you going to give up and quit? Are you going to walk away from Him? If there's financial pressure in your life, and certainly America is under financial pressure today, but it just feels like our little area here is not quite so bad. I mean, I know some of you have lost your jobs, but thank God we haven't had a lot of employers closed down. You know, I mean, thank God it just our area is doing pretty good as you read through the paper. But when you lose your job, or when something doesn't go right, or you lose a contract, or something, you know, the business is not coming in as it should, I want to tell you, you are under a financial test. And everybody loves the testimony that says, you know what, I just wasn't doing good, and I, I, I gave my tithe, and I had faith, and lo and behold, somebody just out of the blue gave me $10,000. And everybody goes, oh. You know, or maybe you say, yes, I've walked with God all my life, and we've been faithful to God, and walked with God, and raised our children in church, and, 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 and we've never missed a payment. We've never been behind on our mortgage. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And you're sitting over there, have lived the exact same way. You say, praise God, a little bit different, but you've lived the exact same way, and you have just struggled for the last five years. Yeah, under a test. And we sometimes think, is it God? Is it the devil? At some point, what does it matter? It's what you're going to do in the test that determines whether you're going to be blessed on the other side or you'll have the consequences from walking away. Someone say, praise the Lord. See, who is behind this test? And let me say this to you. Sometimes you and I, listen, we live in a broken world. 
we live right now as Americans. I don't know what the future of our economy is, but listen, everything financial is being tested. There's probably 10 or 12 states that are going on the edge of bankruptcy. Come on. There were states that are not giving tax refunds because they don't have the money to give the refunds. Everybody knows Medicare is broke and Social Security is broke. Come on. Our government is just borrowing and spending and, 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 and who knows what's going on. We don't know what might happen in the future. Our listen, we just live in a broken world. And in a broken world, there's tests that go on all the time. But listen, I want to tell you this. Sometimes Satan tests us as well. We'll see today from the book of Revelation. And when Satan tests you, he wants to steal your faith away. But then there are times when God tests you. And this is what I want you to really see today because ultimately God is in control. If God is testing you, let me give you several purposes. One, it's to reveal what's in your heart. And that's what a test does. Just like when the, your kids take the test at school and they get an 82, they knew 82% of the material. That test revealed what they knew. Secondly, a test will purify us. Now listen, Proverbs 17.3 says, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, which means the ore goes under heat and the dross rises to the top and they scoop it off. Therefore, your silver or gold can be 99% pure. The Lord does what? Test the heart. So it's a purifying effect of the test. And here's one I'll focus on this morning. A test can train you. It can mature you. A test can be a teaching moment for God. And lastly, my favorite one is a test will promote you. And we'll see that in the life of Abraham. But let's look this morning. Satan will try to test you to make you fail. God will test you to teach you and to promote you. Uh, John chapter 6, look with me in your Bible. We'll look at several passages this morning. And when I read lengthier passages, you may notice that I, I omit some of the words. And it's not because they're not important, but you just can cover more ground if you, if you just dot, dot, dot some of the things that aren't, don't have direct bearing on what we're discussing. So we'll look at these 11 verses in John 6, beginning with verse 1. First, we'll look at, at God uses a test to reveal what's in our heart and, listen, to teach us. So the test will show me what's there. Verse 1, after this, Jesus went across Lake Galilee, and many people followed him because they saw the miracles he did to heal the sick. Now look at verse 5. Jesus looks up and sees a large crowd coming towards him. Now this crowd, later in the passage, said there was 5,000 men. Now likely they brought their wives with them, and likely they had kids. So it is possible we've got 20,000 people. How I many know that's a lot of folks? That's, say, you know, a fourth or perhaps, say, a fourth of the population of Texarkana is there, and they're all hungry. And Jesus asked Philip, where can we buy enough? Jesus said to Philip, where can we buy enough bread for all these people to eat? So now we've got to feed them. We don't have the material. Look at verse 6 now. Jesus asked Philip this question too. Jesus is testing Philip with this situation in life. And Philip was probably, a, you know, a, a, a manager. A, you know, he probably was a, was, a, was a bookkeeper or something like that because he'd already figured this out. Jesus knew what to do, but Philip said, well, someone would have to work almost a year to buy enough bread for each person to have just a little piece. So basically, he looked across the crowd, 20,000 people, 20,000 people, eat some piece of bread, some piece of bread cost so much money. I'm so he had figured it out. But what Jesus wants to do is Jesus is going to try to teach these disciples how to move in the supernatural and how to see something come from nothing but he's got to pigeonhole them where they are, come on, before he can get them where, they want, where he wants them to be. So this first test is to reveal them. So verse 10, 
Jesus said, tell the people to sit down. He took the loaves of bread. He thanked God for the bread. And he gave them the people who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, giving as much as the people wanted. How I many know oh, they had plenty to eat? So God has an ability to do something supernatural. And God can, how I many know oh, God can create something out of nothing? See, you believe that as the Christian. How I many you know the evolutionist believes that as well? The evolutionist believes that everything came from nothing. We believe God created everything. It takes more faith to believe what the evolutionists believe than what you and I believe, the deliberateness of God in creation. But here we go. We've got a God that wants to teach His disciples supernatural faith, but they've got to get their starting point, and He's got to move them from the natural into the supernatural. The Message Bible says of verse 6, rather than questioning or testing Him, it said He wanted to stretch Philip's faith. Now, I want to suggest to you that the Lord will test you as a teaching tool sometimes to move you from where you are to where God wants you to be. How many know it's very easy to say what we'll do when we're tested, but how many know it's not till we get in the middle of it that we really find out? Have you ever looked at someone else in life and, and they're in a particularly difficult time and you thought to yourself, well, I could handle it. I don't know why they can't. Come on now. You know, they're about to quit. I mean, listen to them. They're whining about what's going on. Listen, I could handle it. But then when you get in the middle of something, you, you're, the test reveals what's there. You know, you, you can be tested with your temper. You think you've got a lot of self-control. I mean, no, God knows how to punch your button in just the right way to where you lose it at just the right time and the microphone's on. <laughs> listen, if you need to be humbled, how many know God knows how to humble you? He knows how to get your attention. If you're Simon Peter and you've got all this potential in you, but you've also got all this self-will and pride in you, and Jesus basically says that, you know, he's going he's gonna to die and everybody's going to forsake him. And Peter said, I'll never deny you. Even if I have to die, I'll never forsake you. And just a few verses later, Jesus is arrested and Peter runs away like a scared baby. Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And lo and behold, you know the next story. People are coming up to Peter, and, it's a, it's, it's, and one of them is, in this case, it's a woman. And she said, hey, you were with him, weren't you? I don't even know who he was. And a rooster crows. And Jesus is over here, and their eyes catch one another. And Peter instantly knows he's failed the test. When this petite woman confronted him, he cowered back. He failed the test, and he denied Christ three times. And you would think that Jesus would have thrown him away, but he didn't. Remember after the resurrection? And, and, and for the ladies were the ones who come to the tomb. And he told the ladies to go get the boys, which was the first name he mentioned. Go get Peter and all the rest of the guys. Because when you, when, when you fail a test with God, God doesn't want to hurt you or punish you or embarrass you. He wants to use it to shake you to see where you are so you can push yourself up to the next level. He said, go get Peter. I'm going to restore him. Then I'm going to use him to lead the early church. You know, I can remember Rebecca, my 10-year-old, came home and she had made a seven. It was all grade. And she was used to making A's all the time. And the problem was, in this grade, she had to study a little more than she did in the earlier grade. So she comes home, and she had a little talk with Mama, and she didn't have to stand in the corner. Mom just said, you know what? We're going to study a little more rather than going out and roller skating. So she made an adjustment, and guess what she did the next time she brought it home? I've got all A's. See? Because the test revealed where she was at a 70, and she needed to be at a higher place. And we feel sometimes that God is out to get us, hurt us, or not answering our prayer, when in actuality, He's trying to bring us to completion and maturity and bring us from where we are to where He wants us to be. And He uses a test as a teachable moment.
And I want to suggest to you, you go through things all the time. And the outcome is not what's important. The outcome is how you responded to the test. So tell your neighbor, God gives tests to teach us. It's a teaching tool to reveal where we are and to help us grow. Now look in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. I found I had to live out something just this last week that I preached a couple weeks ago. And I didn't like it one bit. I complained to the Lord that it couldn't apply to my wife, that it had to apply to me. But not only does God teach us, Satan tests us. God tests us for our good, but when Satan tests us, it's to make us fail. Now look in the book of Revelation, one of the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. In verse 8, to the angel or to the overseer of the church in Smyrna, write these words. These are the words of him who is the first and the last. That's Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who died and did what? Came to life again. These are the words of Christ. And notice what he says, verse 9. I know your affliction and your... Yet you're rich. I know the slander of those who say they're Jews and they're not, but are, are synagogue of Satan. In other words, Jewish by religion, but not lovers of God. So here you've got these people that are experiencing trouble, they're experiencing financial hardship, and God hasn't stopped it. And the religious people are talking bad about them, and they're even described as a synagogue of Satan. Now look at verse 10. This is where, it gets, where we understand the dynamic. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Because I tell you, the devil will put you, some of you into prison to do what? Say it again. Say it again. The devil will put you into prison to test you. What is he testing? Your faith. He's trying to test to see if you're going to give up on Jesus, if you're going to walk away when it gets hard, when the prayer has not been answered, if you're going to give up. I'm just not going to church anymore. I'm not following God anymore. It hadn't worked for me. He's going to test you, and you're going to suffer persecution for 10 days. Do you know that could come to the American church? The church in much of the world lives under this today. In the persecuted, in the underground church, in the church in the Muslim world, the Christian church. Listen, they have their buildings burned down. Listen, I know people in India, and in ministry we support there, the Hindus burn the church buildings down. They burn the houses of the Christians, and the Christians are living in the woods. Now, I, I like the testimony much better of God protected me and I didn't even have to lock my door today. Come on. That everything was great and, and you know, uh, I, I'm safe at night and I've got plenty of food to eat. But sometimes Christians go through difficulties and Satan is behind them and he's trying to destroy our lives. And I cannot explain to you why these things happen in the life of the Christian except for the fact that we live in a world where evil has limited authority and we see its work every day in our lives. Are you with me this morning? Well, that's what's happening here. But notice what the Scripture says. What are they to do? They're to be faithful in this test, even to the point of death. That is, if you have to, you die because you're a Christian. But notice what happens. The blessing comes on the other side. He, you, uh, if you be faithful to the point of death, I will give you what? A crown of life, which means I will reward you. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And the second death is judgment day, where those that have died once will be resurrected and all humanity will be before the great white throne of God. Are you with me? And there will be a second death, which is judgment in hell. 
And basically what the Lord is saying here, listen, if you stand strong for me, if you don't let go of your faith, I'm going to reward you in heaven and you're going to miss the judgment of eternity. But for the Christian, listen, even though Satan is testing him, don't lose your faith. You know, that's why it's so important that church attendance is a regular part of your life. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we're not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves and so much the more as we see the day of the second coming approaching. But so often we look at, we look at our options. Many people, well, it, the weather's pretty. I can do my grass this morning or I can go to the lake or I can work a couple extra hours or my DVR is not working and there's a movie I want to watch and, and, and church is just... Well, we went last week. Well, listen... You're, we're going because we're encouraging one another in this walk with God because you may face a spiritual test one day where the devil wants to literally steal your faith from you through persecution, through financial hardship, and the devil is behind it all. Are you with me this morning? Listen, tell your neighbor, don't fail the test. Don't give up on God. So sometimes when these things are going on, God's not behind it. But I want you to look in Job chapter 23. It is an interesting verse. Job chapter 23. Now you know Job's story. Scholars believe that the life, the book of Job, though it's about 40-some chapters, they believe the book of Job encompassed perhaps three or four years. Not a very long period of time. Job lived to be, what, 110, 120? He lived a long, long time. And he was very much blessed in his early part of his life, and he was doubly blessed at the latter part of his life. But when you're reading in chapter 23, you're reading about a man who has lost everything. You're reading a man who is suffering a, a horrible physical affliction, you're, you're reading about a man whose kids have been killed. You're reading about a man whose businesses have been pillaged and stolen from him. And he hadn't heard a, a good word from God in a long time. And his friends have turned their back on him. And his friends are blaming him. And they're basically saying, Job, you must have sinned. The reason all these bad things come around the pike to you. Now, I want you to put yourself in his shoes just a minute. And, and, and if you can see with me the tension between... A man's faith in God when Satan is behind the trial and his faith suggests that, God, I don't understand this, but I know that you're ultimately in charge of my life. And though the devil may be behind this thing, you're the one that's ultimately in control and you're going to bless me on the other side if I don't fail the test. Listen to these words. Job says, look, I go forwards, but he or God is not there. I go backwards, I can't perceive him. In other words, I don't see him behind me. I don't see him before me. When he works on the left hand, I don't behold him. And when he turns to the right, I can't see him. Which is simply a way of saying this. I don't know where God is. My prayers are not answered. I don't see anything good coming before me. I, even the last part of my life, I don't understand it. I don't see any answers over here. And I certainly don't see anything over there. And here I am stuck in the middle. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah, I, if you've walked with God any period of time, because as we look in the pages of the Bible, here's what happens. And I'm sad to say it happens in most of American churches most of the time. We only see the good parts of the Bible. We only want to hear the good. We only want to see those things that are positive and blessing and make us feel good. And church across America has almost become more like a pep rally. And people go from pep rally to pep rally where it makes me feel the best and the highest and, 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 and all these things. But there's another part of the scripture that talks about a reality of life when life sometimes gets difficult. And that's where Job is. And my challenge, what I've tried to do as your pastor, is to help create in you great faith to believe that God can do the impossible, but also create in you faith to endure what seems impossible if you're in a season of waiting. And how many know it takes both? I have met people that only believed in God doing the miraculous, and Grandma died when they prayed, and they had nowhere to go when they quit. 
Are you with me? How many know God is still God even when grandma dies? But look at Job. Look at verse 10. But God knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Now, what you and I know that Job didn't know is Satan was able to approach God. Now, listen. Early in the book of Job, and, and I cannot explain this to you, but Satan asked permission to afflict this man. And the prize with Job's faith. Satan basically pointed at Job and said, no wonder he's serving you. You've given him everything under the sun. He's rich, he's wealthy, he's prosperous, he's healthy, but you take it all away, he'll curse you. And this is the picture between God and Satan. I believe it literally happened. And here's Job caught in the middle, and Job saw this encounter as a test. He didn't see the enemy. He just thought, well, somehow God is ultimately in control, and maybe this is the best tension we can see between Satan's test and God's test, but God is ultimately in control of the thing. Notice what it says in verse 11. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept God's way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. What's the message here? The most important thing is when you're under a trial is that you keep your faith in God and you keep going forwards. And you don't listen to the voices of the people that try to pull you back or try to make you believe that your dad won't be saved. I mean, you know, that your mom won't be saved or that it's not going to work out or God's not going to take care of me. You cannot listen to those voices. You have to keep yourself embedded with God and trusting in Him because I want to tell you, friends, Satan wants to steal your faith. He wants to not just, quote, get you out of church. He wants to get you out of God. And he'll do anything he can. He'll take your health. He'll try to take your business away. He'll take your joy away. He'll take your happiness away. He'll take your money away. But I want to tell you, my friend, do not let him win. And do not quit. That's why it's so important to be connected to people. See, church is not a movie theater where we just come and try to find where we can sit away from most of the people in the most enjoyable spot in the theater. Church is a place where we're to connect with other Christian people so we share this journey together. So when we're struggling and when maybe we're in a season of life where we're under a spiritual test from the devil, come on, and the best preachers in town or the best preachers in America have not gotten rid of the problem. Even after you sent your seed offering or did whatever you were supposed to do and you still had your problem, you need somebody with, you need a Jesus with skin on, if I can say it that way. You need somebody that's filled with the Holy Ghost that can take you by the hand, that can look at you eye to eye, that can just come up to you and say, man, let me give you a hug. I understand you're getting the the hell beat out of you and you just you just need somebody to just tell you that you're going to make it and it's going to be okay See, you need people in your life that way you need somebody to go up to and say hey look i just need you to pray for me so listen god may test us not to hurt us but to teach us but satan will test us because he wants to hurt us and let me give you the last one this is my favorite in the whole god will test you to reveal your heart and promote you because how many know, after, listen, you go to that bar exam and you're waiting patiently in the mail and when it comes back it says, welcome attorney so-and-so or whatever they say on their letter, you have passed the bar exam. There's a bar exam for the Christian. Uh, look in Genesis chapter 22 and I'm going to close with this. God will test you and when you pass the test, God will promote you. This is the story of Abraham. You know his story. At 75 years of age, God gave him a dream to be the father of faith for the entire world which literally means you and I share in Abraham's experience today. It took him 25 years to have a baby, the promised child. He failed one test, and he gave birth to an Ishmael. But God didn't turn his back on him. He kept going. But now God is going to ask the most incredible thing of him. 
His promised son Isaac is alive. Scholars believe the boy is a teenager. Maybe he's 20 years old, but let's say the boy is a 16-year-old right now. Dad's probably about 115 or to 120. You get the picture? Look at verse 1. Sometimes later, what's it say? Say it one more time. Now, it says that if you're in the King James Version, the New King James, the NIV, the New Living Translation, whatever translation you've got, it's in there. And I've known Christians that after me preaching this, walked away and said, I'm going to find another church. I don't believe God tests people. Now, listen to me this morning. Sometimes we develop a theology that has to have scissors to cut out parts of it. But the Bible says God tested Abraham, listen, Abraham called, yes, he replied, here I am. And God said this most incredible thing. And now you've got to understand this. God never wanted him to do what he was asking. He just wanted to see if he was willing to. Look at verse 2. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love so much, and go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. In verse 4, on the third day of the journey, you get the picture? Abraham is looking up and he sees the place in the distance. It's Mount Moriah. Abraham's there. Oh, oh man, over a hundred. Isaac is there. He's a strapping teenager. He's 16, 18 years old. He's walking with his old dad, and they've got some servants with him. Now listen, as his heart is being revealed in this test. Abraham looked up, and he saw the place in the distance, and he told his servants, stay here with the donkey, he said. The boy and I will travel a little farther. And what's it say? We will worship there, and then we're coming right back. Now let me ask you a question. How are they coming right back if he's just sacrificed his boy? Because sacrifice is death. How's he coming back? He didn't know. All he knew is God told him that boy was the promised child. It's like the same question Jesus asked Philip. How are we going to feed so many people? And all Philip could do was try to figure it out in his head. Abraham faithed it out. And the journey was a test of his faith. See, when God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, the Bible says he got up early the next morning. He didn't try to figure it out. He just started doing it. And when you're testing, how many obedience is best? Now look at verse 6. As the two of them are walking together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Hey, Dad, we've got fire and we've got wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Pretty good question, isn't it? Notice what he said, verse 8. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, son. It's like saying, I don't know, but God will take care of us. See, he's like walking on the water right now. Remember when Jesus is walking on the water and Peter says, Hey, if it's you, tell me to come. And he walked on the water until he looked at the waves. So this whole story is he's trying to get him out of the natural into the supernatural. And he's using a test. And each step of the way, Abraham is passing the test. We've got fire. We've got wood. God will provide the sheep, Abraham said. And look at verse 9. When they arrived at the place where God told him to go, Abraham tied his son and laid him on the altar, and Isaac submitted to it. He's a strapping teenage boy. He could have run away. It's a picture of Jesus. He submitted to it. Look at verse 10. Abraham picks up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that very moment, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God is, listen, he's rarely early. He's never late. And he's right on time. See, if it wasn't at that very moment, if it would have been just a couple seconds later, Isaac would have been dead. But at just the right time, God intervenes. Unfortunately, it's usually not my timetable. Abraham, Abraham, he said, yes, Lord, I'm still here. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said, for now I know 
that you truly fear God. If you don't hear anything else, hear that phrase. Now I know. This is a dialogue between God himself and Abraham, the angel of the Lord. This is a, a theophany. It's an appearance of God here on the earth. Now I know. How did he know? The test revealed it. Did God not have foreknowledge? Absolutely. God knew what was going to happen in advance. But the test revealed it. You got the 80 in your past. You got the 90 in your past. You were accepted in the college because you passed the test. Now I know. And can I tell you, that's what a test does, friend. It reveals who you are. And notice what happened when he passed this test. You've not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by the horns in a thicket. And he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. And this is what he said. Because you have obeyed me, that is, because you passed this test, and not withheld your only son, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. And through your descendants, all the nation of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. In other words, the crowning moment of his life was a test. And to this day, that's been several thousand years ago. And guess what? We're all here today because of Abraham. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would have faith in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Where did all that start? Abraham. And a man that was on a journey from leaving Ur of the Chaldees to failing with Hagar to succeeding with Isaac. And now, listen, the greatest blessing that a man could ever see. Listen, that little boy you see on the screen up here, he's wondering. You see the look in his eye? Do I want to settle for one marshmallow or do I want two? Because it's the blessing comes to those that pass the test. And I want to tell you, friend, God will promote you in your life as you pass the test. He is preparing you for eternity. He's preparing you to rule and reign with Christ. Listen, don't fail the test, but be someone that passes. Give him a big hand this morning. He is worthy of all our praise. Thank God. Now listen, I want to pray with you this morning because I know as I've spoken this morning, many of you have come to an understanding that there's a test going on in my life. And it's bigger than just the devil's harassing me or I don't know what God's doing, but you see a circumstance in your life right now as a spiritual test. Maybe you're here today and the test is pretty hard. I had to pause. I talked to my son last night about 9 o'clock and he's studying for his test. I said, on a Saturday night, you're not having fun, you're not with your friends. I want to pass the test and it's coming up in a couple of weeks. I wonder if you're having a struggle right now in the test that you're in. And you don't want to lose your faith. You don't want to be stretched but you want to stand strong and you want to stand firm. We'd like to pray for you right now. We're going to believe God that God's going to release a spirit of faith in this room and a spirit of faith in your life. That something's going to happen to you that you'll walk through life just like Job did and get to the other side of blessing just like Abraham did and get to the other side of blessing. But it all, my friend, depends on your faith. And we're going to pray for you right now that your faith is going to be strong. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm in that test right now and I'd like your prayers. Would you just lift your hand? 
You don't have to move or say a word. I'm going to send somebody to you right now. Lift your hand, and I want someone to look around the room, and they're going to put their hand on your shoulder right now. Come on, look around the room. Look around. I've got some hands in the back there. I want someone to stand up and put their hand on those two ladies' shoulders. Come on, lift your hand if you want someone to pray for you. Robin, right over here. Someone else. They're in the back there. I want someone to just come and put their hand on your shoulder. This man right here. Here's a dear lady right here. Someone just put your hand on that man's shoulder right now. Put your hand on her shoulders. Anyone else today? I'm in a test right now. Now, we're just going to begin to pray for you right now. I want you to just bow your heads in church. I want you to go to praying. You that are ministering to these people, you may have a prophetic word for these people now. And I want you to just close your eyes and just pray. Just begin to pray in the Spirit right now for these people that have their hands lifted. We're just going to believe that the Spirit of God is going to visit them right now. Come on, just help them right now. The devil wants to steal their faith. But we're going to pray that our faith would not fail. That's what Jesus prayed, that our faith would not fail, that we would not turn away or that we would not turn aside. We would not give up. We would not quit. Come on, begin to pray with them right now. You don't know what it is. It could be physical. It could be financial. It could be a torment in their soul. But we're going to pray and believe right now. Come on, stand with them. It could be the devil. You may just need to rebuke the devil off their shoulders right now. Even if it is a God-ordained test, it could be Satan trying to condemn them and Satan trying to hassle them. Would you just pray a covering of the blood of Christ over their life right now? Would you just pray for them right now that the greater one from heaven would stand right them and guard them in Jesus' name? Hallelujah. I want everyone to just lift your hands to heaven now. I want you to just pray that God would just fill you afresh with His Spirit. Just before we go right now, I want you to just pray that that spirit of faith would rest on you right now. That whatever test may befall you in the days ahead, that you would see it through the eyes of Scripture. That you would see it that God is teaching me. God is shaping and maturing me. That God is preparing me for great promotion. That God is, has good intended for me. Even if the devil's involved like Job, God is the one that's in control of my life. So, Father, we pray the gift of faith would just be manifested in this room now. We pray that faith would be loose to all these people here. And this is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Thank God. Everybody said. Let me ask one more thing before we go, and I hope you'll join us for those tacos. Let me ask you this question. Are you failing or passing the test of eternal life? Here's a big question, friends. Every one of us in this room today is failing the test of righteousness because of sin. You know the Bible says that an unrighteous person cannot stand in the presence of God. The problem, though, every one of us are unrighteous. Every one in this room has lied, has stolen, has cheated, has done something wrong, and we fail this test of righteousness. And I'll tell you what the Bible predicts. It predicts that one day you and I are going to stand before God and give an account for our life. And the problem is you can't stand before that test day as a failure. But I want to give you some good news this morning. Jesus Christ is a tutor. God sent a tutor to help you pass the test, or if I could even say it this way, the tutor will take the test for you. Because no matter how good you are or how smart you are how many good things you do, you can never be good enough to pass the test of righteousness. There's only one way, and that's to let Jesus take the test for you. See, that's what the cross is all about. He took your sins on that cross so he could give you his righteousness in its place. But guess what you've got to do? You've got to reach out to God. You've got to receive Him as your Savior. It's not enough just to know it in your head. You've got to follow Him in your heart. You've got to make a turn from your life. And you've got to say, I want what Christ offers me. I want the gift of eternal life. I want to turn from my sin, and I want to begin to follow after God. I need to be saved. I need to get right with God. And I want you to pray for me today before I go. I don't want to leave this place today not knowing if I'm going to heaven or hell. I don't want to leave this place today the way that I came in. I want to get my life right with God today. That may be the first step you've made to God in your whole life. Or you may be a Christian at one time. You walk with God, but you've gotten away. But this is a day you want to come back. You need the righteousness of Christ. You want God's, gift, God's assurance of eternal life.
you're here this morning, we'll pray for you before we go. Say, Pastor John, I want you to pray with me this morning. I want to get right with God. I want you to pray for me now. Would you lift your hand real high this morning? Do it quickly because we're about out of time. God bless you, dear. Anybody else this morning? I want to get right with God this morning. I want to get right with God today. All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to have somebody just pray with you. Why don't you just pray with her just right after the service? She just wanted to make sure that her heart's right with God today. Hey, this was a good day, wasn't it? It was a good day. Give the Lord a good hand this morning. I'm sure glad you came. Now, you can eat your marshmallow or throw it away, or you can bring it to the party if you want to, but they're serving in the rec call. We'll eat outside. And don't forget to set your clock ahead, okay? Pastor Joe will have the dismissal. That was a good word today. No matter how old you are, we always got tests in life, right? So here's what we're going to do. Ladies, this is a special day for you because as Pastor John said, you don't have to cook. We're going to go back there. We're going to hang out. But everybody stand up and on three, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to say, what are you going to do this week? And you're going to say, pass the test. All right. On three. One, two, three. What are you going to do this week? God bless you.